still waiting for the summer to end, welcome to Hand of Pot. because we were all a bit busy last week. Um, well, and other reasons, which we'll explain in a minute. I'm joined by English Dan. Hello, good to be back. And more importantly, Dan, it's good for you to have electricity back. Yes, in the words of one renowned 90s philosopher, I've got the power, again. Indeed. Uh, that's why we didn't record last week. Dan mm. got back from holiday on Wednesday to no power. Still a three-day power cut, weekend. which is really fun in 35-degree heat mm. with a three-year-old. Yeah, I sympathise. Um, Thank you. I, don't, I can't empathise, but I do sympathise. Um, and, yeah, it was too late to notice for me to host, basically. I was busy. So, we took the week off, and now we're back. And I will give you the results from just this most recent weekend, I think. Uh, well, hang on, actually. How many, how many weekends have we had? We've had two weekends, haven't we? Two weekends are not that much midweek stuff, so... Rounds five and six. Let's give you the results from all of them. Because, of course, there's also the ever-crucial red card count to give you. Did they manage to keep up the ridiculous number of red cards each weekend? <laughs> we'll find out. Rosario Central won Godoy Cruz nil. Belgrano, who had a man sent off, nil. Tigre, two. San Lorenzo won. Union, who had a man sent off, nil. Estudiantes won. Sarmiento won. Platense, two. Tacheres, four. Beles won. Boca, who had a man sent off. 2. Colón 1. Huracán 1. Defensa y Justicia 3. Atlético Tucumán 0. River 1. Arsenal 2. Instituto 3. Newells 1. Banfield and Independiente each had a man sent off and neither of them managed to score any goals. Uh, neither of the teams, that is, not neither of the men who were sent off. Barracas Central 1. Gimnasia 0. Racing 2, Lanús 1, Central Córdoba 1, Argentinos 0. That was round 5, if you were keeping count, and you would have counted 5 red cards. And in round 6, Sarmiento 4, Rosario Central, who had a man sent off, 1. Union 2, Estudiantes 0, Platense 1, Central Córdoba 1, Gimnasia 0, Colón 0, Lanús 0, River 2, Newells 1, Barracas Central 0, Atletico Tucumán 0, Banfield, no, that's wrong, Atletico Tucumán 1, Banfield 0, Independiente 2, Instituto 2, Huracán, who had a man sent off, 1, San Lorenzo, who had a man sent off, 1, in the Clásico, Tigre had a man sent off and didn't score any goals, Argentinos did not have a man sent off and did score a goal, they won 1-0, Tacheres had a man sent off and lost 2-1 at home to Vélez, who also had a man sent off, Arsenal 0, Belgrano 1, Godoy Cruz 2, Racing 0, and Boca 0, Defensa y Justicia 0. So, there are fewer red cards per round yeah. than there were when last we recorded. Because the average before was, uh, in the first four rounds, was six red cards per round. And we have had 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 
one, two, three, four, five, six, five and a half red cars per round on average since then. So it's creeping slowly downwards. Where do you see it? Because I've I think in Huracan San Lorenzo there were other records, because on Bromiedos they've got four. Yeah, this one has got a couple of people being sent off from the bench. Yeah. Patricio, Are we not counting them? Pa- Patricio Pizarro and Agustin Chiai, yes. uh, who were unused substitutes. Um, mm-hmm. It's got them, but then the only ones that it shows up when I'm reading out the scores on this main view are the ones who actually were sent off from the pitch. Right. Uh, and those were Fernando Tobio for Huracan and a substitute to Noel Barrios. The pitch, Noel Barrios, who was a half time substitute for San Lorenzo. Um, I think we should count them just to yes, keep indeed, our average. No, thank you for that. So you're right. So in fact, it is uh, eight red cards in this most recent round, unless one of the other red carded. One of the other teams have also had someone set up on the bench. No, I'm seeing eight. So I think that's pretty yes. safe. Right. Well, thank you for that correction because it's an important statistic that we will be tracking throughout the year. Or until we forget. Yeah, uh, but as long as the um, numbers remain as high as they are at the moment, we ain't going to forget. You might be able to hear Noel just coughing a bit in the background. I've turned up the gain on the microphone from normal, given the complaint that we had a couple of weeks ago about volume. (laughs) So hopefully you'll be able to hear us uh, nicely, although I do try to equalise the sound anyway when I'm mastering. But yeah, fingers crossed. Uh, You might also be able to hear the fridge humming. Blame the person who complained. (laughs) <laughs> Even though he apparently doesn't listen all that often. Um, Dan, I'm guessing, in fact I'm not guessing, I know because we discussed this before we started recording, that you caught even less of round five than I did. Yes. Um, pretty much the only game I saw all the way through was Rivera's 2-1 defeat at home to Arsenal in the, I want to say, second match um, in the new Monumental. I think that's Sounds right. right. Um, Jose Paradella gave River the lead early on Lautaro Guzman and Luis Leal remember him from Jeez. his time at Newell's wow. he's still here in Argentina Angola's finest possibly Mozambique's finest he's, somebody's finest um, Cape Verde isn't he I think Cape Verde I knew it was a Portuguese speaking island Sao Tome and Principe there we go um, yeah uh, but yes he is still here and he scored the winner with nine minutes to go um it was a kind of, in some ways, I thought it was a familiar-looking performance from River from some of the days in the Gachardo era when they weren't taking the league seriously. They were dominant and just didn't manage to... They didn't look ruthless enough. It mm. was as if they were only really half half interested. Yeah, I couldn't watch this because they, for some weird reason, didn't have it on Brazilian TV. They mm-hmm. did a bird racing game, which I'll talk about in a bit, I guess. Um, that was but, racing Lanús. Yeah, yeah, but the impression I got kind of following it from afar was that River really should have put it away first half and second half just went to pieces would that be a accurate enough succinct yeah. description yeah pretty much they, they, they should have had it one before half time um, I think it does make more sense though to concentrate more on the weekend just gone yes. because we both saw a bit more of it we're both going to have slightly clearer memories of it but you mentioned in passing just then Racing Lanus uh, which is useful because one of the things that we need to catch you up with is that when we last recorded two weeks ago, they had a 100% record. They've won all four of their first matches, and they have since lost both games. They lost 2-1 to Racing, and they lost uh, 2-0 at home to River, um, which means that they're now down to fifth. So, Dan, what did you make of 
I mean, did you catch them against River as well? If so, then what did you make of both the Planning Assist matches? But in particular, what did you make of the Racing game? Because I know that you saw that one. At this point in the week, I can't remember if I caught them live or if I watched extended highlights. But I definitely watched... I definitely saw all of the major talking points of this game. Hmm. Just not sure in what form. Um, another game where... How do we say this um, diplomatically? River got a bit lucky with with the referee. Uh, I know Lanus definitely weren't very happy. They had um, two goals disallowed, one of which was at 1-0 for a very, very mm. marginal offside. Not so much for the offside, because I think it was, but I think this is something we've seen a few times, especially... Well, I think in the Premier League as well, but in Argentina, these kind of questions when you're not talking about a technical um, decision, you know, is he past the last man or not? Rather interpretation. Is he is the guy, I can't remember who the Lenders player was, interfering with play because right. he was kind of... He barged the river defender kind of before... Uh, the person, the other person. Sorry, I'm really uh, struggling around names for this one. I, I think but it was before Christian, the, it says here Christian Lema was the one who was Lema. That was it, offside. Christian Lema. Um, well, not flagged, I suppose. Vard offside. Yes, uh, and I think it was Gonzalo Pires, uh, the defender. Um, so he kind of barged jockey for position before ball was met. You know, the would be goal scoring header took place, mm. but. After the header, he kind of made no movement. The defender didn't try and kind of get past him and was obstructed, just kind of stood there. Uh, he wasn't obstructing Armani's line of vision. Um, very, very tough one to call it, just like um, the couple of decisions River got in their previous win against Argentinos. Mm. Um, I don't think... There's a conspiracy. I think Lanús were robbed because you can, you know, it's a decision. That in my opinion, you can give either way and say, okay, fair enough. There are arguments for and against. Uh, but it, you know, it's always useful when you're trying to put together a, a run of wins when all of the decisions seem to fall your way. Or when um, you're trying to come back from a defeat. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so probably, yeah, Lanús reason for grievance. Um, I mean, also, the, the second goal came in the 88th minute, and then Lanus had a, a very, very late goal indeed ruled out with, like... Correctly, I think, that one. Very deep into stoppage time. Um, but the other thing that River got a bit lucky for, regardless of the officiating, was that they had two shots on target, mm. and they scored both of them. Um, and that was from three shots in total. Yeah. I mean, they really weren't that good. And Lanus had, I mean, I, lost, I wasn't counting, but it says here, 13 shots. They only managed three on target. Mm. Obviously, these won't include... The, the two that were disallowed um, but yeah it was all of the clinic clinicity clinicalness mm. clinical edge that they were lacking in, against Arsenal the previous week yeah um, and they actually had a striker a centre forward score a goal which mm. is a big boost for River because I think Beltran was the first out of any of the three of yeah. him Rondon and Borja to actually find the net um, which is useful, you know, when you know, forward score, score goals, you can give Nacho Fernandez um, a little bit of a rest. Indeed, yeah. Uh, but I think, you know, they they battled through. Didn't have air conditioning in the in the away dressing room as Martin De Michelis 
pointed out in his post-match press conference and got ripped the piss out of for that. Go back to you where it might have been. Um, um, yeah, but that that is that, that does feed into uh, what I said while the theme music was playing at the start of the episode, which is that for some reason, even though we're now into the second week of March, it is still really hot. And it's going to um, stay hot, apparently. Um, yeah, this I'm isn't not, a weather show, but they're saying 10 more days of 30 plus degree heat. I, I looked at a forecast on, well, on whichever one it is that my computer brings up when I click on the information thing mm. about a week ago, and it told me that the weekend that ended a couple of days ago, uh, we were supposed to, the temperature was meant to start falling, mm. and it hasn't done. It has not. Absolutely um, not. Anyway. Let's hope it does. Racing. Since uh, we last talked, well, since you last talked, it's been three weeks, but since we last did a podcast episode, Racing have beaten Lanús, obviously, um, and then lost, right, against... Um, Godoy Cruz. Godoy Cruz. Yes. So those are two quite contrasting sets of results Indeed. to look at, given that Lanús at the time were looking quite good and Godoy Cruz... Mm. Uh, Godoy Cruz. I mean, in fairness, Godoy Cruz are mid-table at the moment so far, rather than crap, but... Um, those two aren't mutually exclusive, I don't think, no. in the league this year. But anyway, um, yeah, it turns out that uh, relying on your centre-backs and full-backs to score worldies every game is not a sustainable tactic, mm. to the surprise of everyone. Um, yeah, the Gole Cruz game, just an absolute disaster, really. Um, horrible day on Monday, horrible time for a game, you know, kicking off at five o'clock when, it's, you know, the only... Only games you want to see at midweek on uh, at five o'clock, a Champions League games, your European game, you don't have much stake in. Uh, you don't want to be watching Argentine Premier games. This, this might be more one for the Football Clichés podcast, but I'm going to dispute that Monday really counts as midweek, although I do know what you mean. It's a weekday. Yes. Weekday, yes. That would be the, the correct terminology. I apologise. Uh, yeah. Terrible day, terrible kickoff time, terrible refereeing, and a terrible performance. Uh, it has to be said, harassing. We were just all over the place. I think they were one nil down about uh, a minute and twenty, a minute and thirty seconds into the game, uh, and just never really recovered. Um, they did get back uh, to two one very briefly with a towering header from um, our substitute centre back Galvan. He of the missed penalty against River, but VAR decided that was offside again. So. Further contributed to my foul mood regarding technology. I smashed a toaster uh, as revenge. Um, and it's always like, it's weird, it's um, a difficult stadium for Racing for some reason. Um, Gore Cruz is adopted home. They never do well there, like always labour, usually get beat, uh, as opposed to most of the big teams who seem to have a Nice jolly when they when they head down to Mendoza, um, so always like wary about that game and just disappointed really. And I think similar to River, uh, Racing need to get their their forward line sorted because they've just got nothing up front unless mm. Gonzalo Piovi's smashing in thirty yard free kicks as he did in the two games before against uh, Lanús and River. Um, You've got to get it sorted. Uh, hopefully, Paulo Guerrero will get back to something approaching even 50% fitness because he kind of looks dangerous enough for five-minute bursts, but yeah. doesn't really look like he can do much more. 
Yeah, I think he um, gave an interview after one of the games. I caught the, I didn't catch all of it. I can't remember which one it was either, mm. but I caught the sort of the bit afterwards where they're talking to players on the pitch. The post-match interviews, I believe they're called. Um, and yeah, he, he commented that he needs to get up to fitness as well and that he's aware of that yeah. and is still kind of feeling it a little bit at the moment. Um, It'll be useful, yeah. I believe in you, Paolo, but mm. pull your finger out. Uh, now we should talk about Boca, because mm. we always do. Record-breaking Boca. Indeed, yes. Uh, since we last recorded, they've beaten Venice 2-1 in a match that we picked out as a potentially interesting one, if not you and Andres, an exciting one. Um, in which Luca Langoni, I think, opened the scoring very early on. Mm. Uh, 32 minutes in, so no, I'm misremembering how early it was. Lucas Hansson equalised in the second half um, for a penalty, and Jorge Pigal got a late winner for Boca that was very much... Um, Winning a lo Boca. Mm. Fewer shots on target, fewer shots overall, considerably less possession. Uh, just generally looking like they were under the cosh for most of the game. But they come away with the three points, which is what Boca are all about. Um, after that, a few days after, on the first of this month, so, oh, that's a week ago today, we're recording this on Wednesday, unusually, uh, they beat Patronato 3 0 in the Supercopa to lift that prestigious trophy mm. um, a match that was I mean I didn't catch it but just looking at these numbers it was never really in doubt uh, so now I assume they're going to go on to play Racing for the Super Super Copa for, for two for Super right Copa to, winners yeah. for the right to face Patronato in the <laughs> Something. final of the next one which will be for the right to yeah. uh, and then on for some reason Monday night I don't know why Boca are playing at 9 o'clock on a Monday but I guess because they, they had the midweek game and no one else did so they just Ask for more, yeah, more time off. Maybe. Um, uh, that must be it, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, they drew nil-nil with Defensa y Justicia, which was a match that I didn't watch, but that Dan did and was very entertained by it. Yes, indeed. Um, the question in everyone's lips after that was, first of all, why did uh, Ogoyuara take so long to take off Sebastian Vicha? when he was just being an absolute dick. Um, but more to the point, uh, how were there no goals? Because between them, and it was very uh, very even, very very well matched, I must say, um, Boca and Defensa Cordicia racked up 45 shots, that is 45, 4 5, 12 of them on target, Defensa Cordicia having the edge on that, 8 to 4. Uh, without managing to beat either Sergio Romero or Luis Unsain. Uh, Romero, in fact, got the Man of the Match award for just being awesome. Uh, I'm sure he's probably knocking on the door now to reclaim his Argentina shirt from Emiliano Martinez. Yeah, Escaloni, Romero is Argentino. Indeed. Um, and we did some digging after that with uh, our resident stat head, Tony. And after a little bit of confusion over the parameters of my my query, uh, discovered that this was the game with most shots uh, not to yield a goal. We're on forty-five. And when's that? When do the rec- when do Tony's records begin? I don't know. Fairly recently, I assume. But in some kind of period of time, anyway. That in some kind of period of time, uh, it's not the game with most shots on target without mm-hmm. scoring that. Dubious, I know it belongs to 
Racing and Banfield, who I think in about 2015 uh, fought out a 0-0 draw with 13 or 14 shots on target. Uh, Enrique Bologna doing his best Leviashin super awesome keeper uh, routine as Banfield keepers always do against Racing. And it's really annoying. Uh, but yes, well done Boca, well done Defensive Corticia. Uh, you both fully deserve that point, and no more. And that leaves Defensive Corticia top still. Indeed it does, yeah, we'll get to the standings in a minute. Independiente have had uh, two draws, one was 0-0, one was 2-2 since we last mm. recorded. Uh, did you catch either of them? I watched the end of Sunday's 2 draw against Instituto, yes. Uh, another really interesting game, uh, especially for wrestling fans. <laughs> yes, because uh, Independiente were 2 0 up after well, just over half an hour in, mm. thanks to two goals from Martin Calderuccio. Calderuccio, amazing. Um, oh, I'd, I saw, I'd, I'd have most of that on in the background actually while I was, um, I think I must have been doing some work. Yeah, I was doing some work on that afternoon. I had this on. And yeah. Just kept looking at the television and going, hang on, 2 1. <laughs> no, no, it's 2 2. How's that happened? Uh, but the frustrating thing, really, from the point of view of someone who was looking at the scoreline and enjoying it getting higher and higher, was that the equaliser for Instituto came with like 25 minutes to go. Yeah. And then. But they both went for it, to be fair. Lot. Yeah. Uh, but there were no goals. I mean, there weren't any. I can't remember any big. Ch- oh, Independiente had a really big chance right at the very end, didn't they? Mm. Um, but apart from that, yeah, it was just, just that little bit like, oh, yeah, this is going to finish 3 2 or 4 mm. 3, and then just no, nothing. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's difficult for Independiente. Um, we all know the struggles they've had. You know, the elections finally happening. Still no money. Uh, but there's been bright points. So I've really enjoyed watching this lad, Javier Bachejo, who I thought was mm. one of Argentina's better players at the Under-20 South American Championship. And he's come right into the Independiente squad after coming back from Colombia and, and shown, shown some really interesting flashes. Um, same with Matias Jimenez um, or a couple more guys uh, but their defence is very very flimsy uh, if it wasn't for Rodrigo Rey the ex gimnasia keeper who's just really earning his salary at the moment because um, if there's one thing in the band they tend to do it's get good goalkeepers mm. uh, that's probably saved them over these last this last decade of underachievement from from being really, really in the um, in the sticky stuff, um, but yeah, not much going forward, as I think is evidence in the fact that you know to lead their front line, they turn to a 35-year-old Aldosivi forward like Cabderucho, not exactly uh, the boldest of choices, or um, and in defence as well, very, very, uh, very fragile. It's gonna be a a tough year for for Independiente, I think. Yes, and if you're listening and thinking that Dan's sounding unusually sympathetic and uh, kind to Independiente, then I'm going to give him now the opportunity to laugh at them because he was talking to me a little bit about their finances before uh, we started recording. Yeah. <laughs> um, the good news for Independiente is that things could be worse. The bad news is I think they're about to get a lot worse because um, new information that's come out shows that they owe a total of $20 million between dollar debts and peso debts to a whole variety of characters, including somehow 50 million pesos to Miguel Brindisi, the 
coach who was last on their bench back in 2013. Uh, 10 million pesos to the father of the Prince of Summer himself, Patito Rodriguez, who hasn't played for him for 10 years. Mm. Uh, 80,000 to a non-league Uruguayan club for, uh, what's the word, like formation rights or... Deportivo Maldonado? No, Barrio Obrero. Oh, okay. Never heard of him. No, I think they literally brought a player from some Uruguayan youth team mm. uh, and just never got around to paying this like m- modest sum that they were after. And now they're owed uh, $80,000, yeah. Um, so if any of our uh, listeners um, have a few spare pennies, first of all, you could join our Patreon uh, patrons or perhaps more pressingly, you could give a few quid to Independiente because they might need it more even than us. Yes, indeed, they might. Uh, please help the... If you can do both, that would be ideal, of course. Help the needy. Um, the remaining one of the big five are, of course, San Lorenzo, mm. who, let me just remind myself what they did in round five. Uh, they beat Union, 10-man Union, 1-0. Um Andres Bombergar with the goal. Just of always, course. Always enjoy saying that name. Uh, and then, of course, they drew the Clásico in El Palacio. I swear I was thinking this while I saw the results. Like, we didn't do hand a pod, uh, much less Mystic Sam the week before, but this obviously would have gone down this as a Mystic Sam draw. Indeed it would. There would have been yes. no doubt about it. Uh, the two goals both came in the first half. There was a penalty from the Uruguayan. 1940s tango singer Matias Kokaro uh, and a late equaliser I think it was pretty much the last touch of the first half from Hamil Elias um, oh it wasn't the last touch of the first half but there were 8 minutes of first half stoppage time and he scored 4 minutes into first half stoppage time um, so yeah that one sounds like it was quite entertaining although from the look of this Huracan pretty much dominated the second half and San Lorenzo were hanging on a bit I yeah I kind of watched the last half hour, more or less, um, and it looked to be all Luracan, you know, obviously, fair enough, because a draw for San Lorenzo was, was absolutely fine, you know, they'd won, they'd won four, four of the first five games, almost at the top of the table, like, they would have been, you know, you always want to win the Clásico, but you definitely don't want to lose it, especially if you've made a really good start to the year. Yeah, and, and are in dangerous in that derail with a bad classical result. And this is where we can start to hint at the standings as well, because it was the classical. I, I can't remember the last time these both of these teams were flying this high on the table. Mm. After it, now after the draw, San Lorenzo second and Orocana fourth. There was only a point separating them. Um, it's been a while. It has, yeah. Uh, I do remember tipping San Lorenzo pre. Yeah, you did, didn't you? Pre championship, San Lorenzo and Central were were the two teams. I thought. Watch out for them, because I've seen, you know, I said last year, San Lorenzo were very, have been very well drilled by, by Insua, who would be a 1980s tango singer or some sort of 1980s singer. 1980s lounge singer, I'd say with that. Lounge head. singer, yeah, that's fair. But lounge singers can sing a tango too. I Maybe guess. a wham backing dancer. Possibly. <laughs> um, very, very difficult to score. They've only conceded three goals in their first six games haven't looked like conceding a whole lot more. Um, it's interesting as um, how it's kind of shaping out at the top of that table because we've got yeah, San Lorenzo sharing 
that's something with defensive justicia. Uh, very different teams, defensive justicia are all attack, attack, attack. San Lorenzo very much um, more conservative. Huracan, a little bit of both. Tashir is just direct, mm. run you over with a with a 4x4. Four four. Uh, and then Lanús and River lurk in there as well. You know, one Lanús on a bit of a slump, but they've had two difficult fixtures. Uh, River gonna keep grinding out, gonna keep grinding out points, just like Bocara. Uh, shaping up to be a very interesting little race. If um, obviously not all of them seven teams are gonna go the distance, and others might push their way into contention, but to you know start with, um, it's looking promising. Yeah, I think that the the two big questions for me looking at at this early running and in terms of who's going to challenge um, for it are Lanús and River first of all can Lanús pick themselves up again after these two defeats and start to get on a bit of a roll again like they started the season I mean they've got Belgrano away yeah. on Saturday which is probably nine. and then from River's point of view it, it's can they make the attack click obviously mm. they're trying to make a lot of things click at the moment under Demi Chalice and yeah. when they they're winning more than you know, well, they haven't drawn any yet. I was going to say they're winning more than they draw, but obviously they are. They've won four, drawn none, and lost two. They're winning more than they're losing. Um, but it, it's even when they win, it's not quite there just yet. They're trying mm-hmm. to kind of work towards it. If they can make the attack click, and if, as you say, um, those non-scoring strikers can start scoring, then they'll start winning most of their matches, if not all of them, fairly comfortably. Um, I mean, with all them problems, they're still like the fifth top scoring team in the whole in the whole league yeah and, and also to put all of this discussion into content into context uh, you know, Dan's just gone down the standings but didn't mention the points Defensive Justicia and San Lorenzo both have 13 Tacheres, Huracan Lanús, River all have 12 uh, and Boca in 7th on 11 so the top 7 teams are currently uh, separated by 2 points after 7 matches 6 matches sorry um, so yeah, it, it's not as if there's you know an awful lot in it. it. It's not like we're talking about oh, can they keep up with the big boys or can they catch them? They don't really have to catch them. They're right up there still. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's going to be an interesting race to watch. Um, I think a lot depends um, on what happens when uh, the Libertadores kicks off, of course, because mm. I don't think River and to a lesser extent Boca are as deep as they've been in recent years. So they're going to have to make decisions, especially if like the first couple of copper games go a bit sour. Uh, you know, you could lose four or five weeks, if not more, uh, playing you know mixed teams, weakened weakened teams, and that will yeah. that will definitely come into play. But and Huracan, of course, uh, whose Libertadores match is this week? But I'm guessing you want to talk about that a little bit later. Yeah, we'll talk about it after the break, I think. I yeah. just wanted to... Uh, you mentioned that you'd pick San Lorenzo and Rosario Central as the potential two to keep an eye out for. And obviously, mm. Central are way down in 10th place, but also at the same time, only three points off the lead. Just um, for a bit of balance, I also thought Racing would be a little bit further yeah, up no, after sure. six games. So no, no, but I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to... Nah, nah, no, no. I'm not trying I'm to laugh playing. at you or anything. I was just wondering how you've found Central to beat because obviously the, the big eye-catching thing that's happened since we last recorded is they lost 4-1 to San Miento but the week before that they beat Godoy Cruz they again just like I said about River a minute ago they're winning more than they lose mm. um, they've got three wins a draw and two losses yeah. uh, negative goal difference but I, 
a lot of, well, in fact, that negative goal difference is entirely down to the fact that they lost by three goals to Sarmiento uh, in their most recent match. So, I mean, where are they at? They can only improve after Tevez left. Yeah, yeah I think... Sort of, um, they seem to be doing so quite slowly so far. Yeah, I think uh, results like the Sarmiento one are going to happen because um, if you look at the Central team, it's generally very young. They're bringing through a lot of teenagers, a lot of guys with not a whole load of um, Premier experience. Uh, and Sarmiento away is not an easy game. I think um, we mentioned last year, uh, kind of by surprise, because none of us seem it coming. They won something like, or they'd gone unbeaten in something like uh, nine out of their 11 home games. Um, very tough team, like don't take any prisoners, uh, not afraid to kick you, and that can be uh, intimidating for, for young kids who... Um, it might be a little bit more wet behind the ears. Um, so I wouldn't judge him too hard on that game, um, nor, you know, do I think it's worth even talking about Cinderella's in that mix for for the title or even continental qualification because that is absolutely not their goal for this year. The only goal for Cinderella is to make sure they rack up enough points to stay away from um, stay away from the drop zone after having a very, very tough 2022. And if they keep up this pace, they're going to be very, very, um, very comfortable. Uh, you can see that even, you know, with the 10 points they've, they've picked up so far, they've moved, moved significantly away from, from the average points basement, at least. Um, so that's going to be the key for Central this year. And if they can keep it going, get on a bit of a run, get these young kids like Infantino, like Alejo Velis, um, into a bit of consistent form and playing there as well as we've seen them play when when they get going. Uh, they, yeah. I mean, they only have to finish ninth, ninth for the Sur Americana. Yeah. Uh, so it's not out of the question. Um, I would certainly still expect them to see, expect to see them closer to the Sur Americana than the bottom of the table. But they're going to have bumps along the way like this... Uh, Sarmiento. Yeah, and on Sarmiento, since you mentioned the relegation table, I just brought it up. They are four points ahead of Bladlin. They are uh, third from bottom, mm. so they're only one position at the moment above the relegation zone. But everybody in the bottom ten of the relegation table has played the same number of games, so we don't need to worry about division. We can just look at points totals. And Sarmiento have um, seven, no, more than seven, far more, 13 points more than Arsenal. Four points more than Platense. Those are the two teams in the relegation zone. Um, and they're level on points with Central Cordoba. Only two points behind Banfield. And so far this season, they've got three points more than Central Cordoba and five points more than Banfield. Um, so they're going in the right direction. I would also too be remiss if I didn't point out that the last of their goals was scored by Lisandro Lopez. So at least one... Racing associated forward still knows where the goal is. Indeed. Uh, he's recently turned 40, still going. And is he going after Jose Sanz? I think he might be, yeah. Um, perhaps not not the same in terms of longevity, but got the edge on talent maybe over Sam, if that's not too controversial. His um, peak was higher, wasn't it? Yes, just slightly. And I, saw, I actually saw... Um, a ridiculous statistic about him the other day after that goal 
uh, I can't remember the specifics, but he is something like the third high scoringist Argentine still in active service in world football. Oh, okay. After Messi. Uh, that's the one. And, um, and one more. I, I wish I'd um, saved it or liked it on Twitter because. Uh, Iguain's retired. Iguain. So not very much fan think fair. Has retired. Um, Aguero obviously is not playing anymore. Yeah. So who's the other guy? It's got to be somebody who's playing in Ecuador or somewhere and we've completely forgotten about, isn't it? I think. No, someone well known. Which is going to mean it's going to be embarrassing when we get the answer. While Dan looks up the answer, I'm going to put some theme music on. Yes. So when we come back from this break, we will tell you who it is. And we will also talk about some other stuff. Sandes. Alessandro Lopez, even. Indeed, yes, than him. Uh, yeah, there's a couple. Um, I've just spoiled it without meaning to. <laughs> Aside from Messi, of course, there are three other Argentines who have scored more than Alessandro Lopez's 257 senior goals. Uh, Jose San, thank you, Sam. Mauro Bocelli, and of course, how could we overlook him? One Sebastian Tagliabue. Yeah. Yeah. Who, uh, not a name I'd heard of before. No. Um, apparently is... UAE legend. Joint uh, national, probably. Well, I mean, I'm assuming that it's nothing to do with his heritage and that he just has spent so long living there, mm. uh, with the United Arab Emirates, for whose national team he plays. Um, do you have an up-to-date number of goals he's got there? Because this, I've got this tweet here from January last year that says 339. Uh, I saw one just now that said 309, so I might have read that wrong. I've also got Bosselli on 237 here, but you said that he'd scored more than Sand. Um, and I don't think he's outscored him by 13 goals yeah. or more um, in the last 13 months. So one or both of these oh, tweets actually, we're reading from might be inaccurate. No. So it says 311 club goals that are in six um, uh, national team goals. But so. so you've got somewhere between 300 and 320. Anyway, that was a nice little uh, introduction to a player that I'm going to try to work out now whether we should be embarrassed not to remember his name. Apparently he left in 2010. So oh, okay. right before, before we started start. recording. He was about to sign for Tigre. Um, after doing several trips around um, Argentina and South America, I think he was in Colegiales, uh, and then his, he had the trips between the UAE and Tigre, and he chose the UAE, hmm. and he's been there ever since. Yeah, he's uh, ten months young, ten and a half months younger than me, uh, and it, it says on his Wikipedia, his Spanish language Wikipedia, that he is the tenth highest Argentine goalscorer ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and the yeah second currently active 
he's got 300, well, this again says 339, even though that tweet from 13 months ago said 339. Mm. Uh, and yeah, obviously Messi's in first place with however many Messi's got this week. Um, anything else? No, that was what we were talking about. That was it? what we were talking about. So well done, Lissandra. Keep it up. Indeed, yes. And congratulations to Sebastián Tagliabue for... Scoring lots of goals. Existing. Uh, I think one of your neighbours might have put the their washing machine on or something with the noise back in there on these headphones. I can't hear it. No, well, the microphone picks up a lot more. I, I, the thing is that sometimes the microphone picks up things that afterwards, yeah. when I'm editing the podcast, I can't really hear. So it might just be the uh, headphones that I've got on. Fair enough. Uh, to pick up what the microphone does. Anyway, we, first of all, a little bit of admin, and I think that this is something Andres and I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, so we're only going to mention that it's happened and then that will be it. Ah, oh, no, I might as well ask Dan's opinion as well. Um, but it might also be something that happened just after Andres and I recorded, and I can't remember. So it is, anyway, the news that Lionel Scaloni's new contract with the Argentine Football Association has now been signed. Mm-hmm. It is official, he's going to be the manager of Argentina, uh, until the end of the next World Cup. Dan, yes. how do you feel about that? It was obvious, right? Um, probably winning the World Cup is enough to get you a new contract. Sounds deserved to me. Indeed. Uh, and the other thing that's happened since, has definitely happened since we last recorded, is that that second friendly in the upcoming international break that was 90% certain to be against Panama, uh, sorry, against Suriname, Suriname, the first one is against Panama, uh, is now going to be against Curaçao. Mm. Which is Same languages, different mm. sort of country. Yes. Um, an island nation rather than a continental mainland nation. Yes. Um, but it's also not a nation. Yes. In, well, in FIFA terms, it's a nation. Yes. Uh, and that's what matters. So, yeah, Curacao will be playing Argentina in the Estadio Mario Kempes mm-hmm. later this month. I still don't know whether we've actually got the final date yet or not. March something, yeah, it must be. Uh, If any commissioning editors are listening and want to send me on an all-expensive paid fact-finding mission to Curaçao for a couple of weeks before the game, I would be willing to do that. Oh, you've just reminded me of something I need to discuss with you after we record, Dan. A fully paid fact-finding mission to Curaçao? It's uh, something that you might be interested in hearing about, but it's not quite that unfortunately Damn it. Uh, Argentina Panama has apparently been scheduled for the 23rd of March mm. so that suggests that we should now have a definite date for Argentina versus Curaçao is going to be the 28th of March oh. um, in the venues for said games the Monumental yep. for the Panama match and the Kempes for the Curaçao match uh, the, both of them are showing up as TBD for the venues on Google TBD. but Everything that we've read about these two matches for the last couple of months has always said that the first game is going to be in the Monumental and that the second one's going to be in the Estadio Mario Kempes in Cordoba. Correct. Um, other things? To, there was something else I wanted to mention as well. Oh, Huracan. Huracan. We're going to talk about the Copa Libertadores de America, yes. which has now reached its third qualification um, round. We're actually watching, well, I'm not watching, Dan's we were. half watching. We were watching. While well, we recorded the first, no, the second half of Deportes Magallanes, because they're Chilean, not mm-hmm. Argentine. They'll get very angry with us if we call them Magallanes against Independiente Medellín. Come on, Medellín in the, in the Medellín dialect. It is a little bit dialect, yeah. yeah. 
Um, if we're going to be precise. Thank you. Which we probably should. No, no, that's worth it. Plus, it's easier for Argentine Spanish speakers yes. to say anyway. Uh, that finished 1 1 and is the. That was the first leg. They're it? all first legs. Of yeah. course, yes. All this week's the first legs. Millonarios versus Atlético Mineiro Ooh. is going to be Tasty. starting in about 10 minutes' time. And Huracán have a match. Uh, I knew this when I started Sporting this. Sporting Cristal. Again, Sporting of Cristal. Lima of Peru. That's going to be played on Thursday evening. Oh, in about 24 hours time. 24 yes. hours and 12 minutes time. First um, leg in the Tuco and second leg in Lima. Indeed, yes. Uh, that should be interesting. Sporting Cristal had a win against... Oh, they absolutely thrashed Nacional of Paraguay in the previous round. That was right, which mm. Andres and I went over just, just the score lines of, of all of the Came back from rounds. a 2-0 defeat in the first leg to win 5-1. Yes, Jesus. they did. Um, the attitude of Lima once more coming <laughs> into play. Yeah. So that should be uh, that should be interesting. Huracan, it's a bit of a chance to see whether they can translate their good league form into continental football, which we always expect Argentine yeah. sides to do, given the strength of, of the league on the continent. But it doesn't always happen. No, gen- and generally Peruvian teams have been pretty weak in recent years. Mm. Um, but judging by that last match, maybe Cristal are the ones who are going to turn the page. Uh, let me see if they have any familiar faces. No Argentines. Outrageous. There's always one lost Argentine soul in these teams. But at least judging from their last game, there was not even one. So, no frame of reference whatsoever. No. The closest you've got is Leandro Sosa on the right wing, who's Uruguayan. Yeah. No, ge- geographically close. Geographically. Like literally, just, just close. Not particularly um, Argentine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So if there are any Cristal fans listening who can tell us why they hate Argentines, mm. let us know. Well, they do have a Brazilian manager at the moment, don't they? Yes. So maybe that's it. That would make that's sense. That old yeah. animus. I'll um, tell you that. But anyway, yeah, that's, that, so those are going to be played tomorrow, which mm. might well be today by the time this goes online. Uh, and then the second legs are... Oh, they're in a week's time. Yeah. So... By the time we next record, oh, actually, given up that we normally record on Thursday nights, there's a good chance we'll be recording during the next one. Um, so we'll let you know how that goes next week. And mm. obviously the group stage begins... Oh, it's the first week of April. First week of April. I think the first group matches are played on my birthday, if I remember mm. rightly. Um, it's also Sudamericana, but there is no Argentine interest in that so far. At the moment, no. Uh, they're going to be coming into it in the... Oh, this is the last... Oh, this is qualification round one still, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know how many qualification rounds there are in the Sudamericana. But I think only one. I think all the Argentine and Brazilian teams get a free pass to the group mm. stages. But I could be wrong. All right, it's B9. Yeah, that's, it sounds familiar. Yeah. But yeah, with the recent uh, uh, rejigging of the formats, then yeah. Um, good. Cool. And we have Copa Argentina. We, we had did. another upset today. Did we? Oh, did you not see? No. Uh, the best named team in Argentina, Chaco Forever, knocking out Sarmiento. Oh, in I was a getting penalty thriller. I was getting the goal alerts on SofaScore, and because SofaScore treat every goal in a, every goal in inverted commas in a penalty <laughs> shootout as if it's an actual goal, they were just racking up to the point where I didn't really know what was happening. I yeah. assume the app was broken. Nil nil after ninety minutes. Ten consecutive successful penalties if my memory serves 5-5 after 5 kicks each and the 6th Sarmiento penalty went wide Lucas Milano Lucas Milano 
and Chaco's penalty somehow went in to like a deflection off the keeper then the then the post then the angle and flopped obligingly into the goal um, to give him the, the victory and the chance to pose with the big Copa Argentina check which is made available yes, seconds after any game is finished we're, we're very happy about bizarrely it bizarrely happy about posing with that big charity yes. check so Chaco forever their reward will be a meeting in the next round with either Rosario Central or Central Norte of, I want to say, Salta. Mm-hmm. Yes, that is where Salta. I mean, unless there's another Central Norte that are smaller and less well known, that is where they're from. Because I went past their stadium when I was in Salta a year and There we go. A year and a half ago? No. Three years and a half ago, <laughs> before the pandemic. As if you need an administration that time is, just doesn't mean anything anymore. Mm. Um, also in the Copa Argentina, as we are talking, River Plate against Racing de Córdoba is underway. So if you were wondering why Andres hasn't made it this week, this is why. <laughs> this is literally the reason that he gets this, us. This um, is it. The, uh, this is it. Wanted really. to make certainly could be back in time and yes. knew that we were only going to be starting an hour before it kicked off or so. Quite um, a strong team actually from River, all things considered. Uh, they're resting Armani. Resting yeah. De La Cruz, a couple of Paradela, but Beltran, Nacho Fernandez, Barcos, Gonzalo Pérez. Yeah. yeah, well, it's something that they've made a habit of uh, yes. winning or at least reaching the sort of semis of in recent, fairly recent years, isn't it? Yes. I think I shouted also. And I will stay consistent and say, I hope the lower league team wins because that's always very funny. Indeed. Indeed, it is. Not going to argue with you there. Um, was there anything else? Do we have any bits and pieces to mop up before we get to listeners' questions? I don't think so. I think that's about it. Yeah, I can't think of anything. So let's get to listeners' questions. Um, we have had a few. I'm going to include the people, obviously, who tweeted to us. Uh, before Were there any left a, over in the last two weeks? People we've had a lot out? from Oxford, Chambord, LFC. Yeah. Um, Let's see. First of all, we had a rather misleading answer from Chakarita Juniors in English a couple of weeks ago to uh, Tim's question, which we read out on the podcast, about the current state of promotion relegation and Libertadores qualification. Um, I'm not sure why they put this, but they said the two or three teams from outside the city or province of Buenos Aires with the higher points in the season get promoted or allowed to win the playoffs plus Paracas Central. Yeah, that's not right. Um, which is rubbish. Plus Paracas Central are already in the... In the league, so. yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I think he's joking. I, I, I'm almost certain that it's a joke about conspiracy theories and stuff, right. but also just in case, given that things like this have not been that far from being the truth in the regulations, like not a million years before we started recording this podcast, I would just point out that that is not how it works. Um, don't I give many ideas either, always enjoy a joke, but it actually does have the potential to confuse people so not true anyway questions that we've had since we last recorded are Oxbo Jambo LFC I think wanted to oh this was in response to Perfect Tommy's question that we did read out last week about Retegi uh, last week two weeks ago about Retegi and why he um, didn't go back to Boca um, but he does have some other questions along the lines of my previous question can you explain how Libertadores slash Sudamericana qualification works is it as complicated as relegation or is it more straightforward? So, first of all, I'll just say that 
Relegation is not that complicated. <laughs> it, it always, I think, reminds me of how people talk about the offside rule as if it was this incredibly difficult thing to understand. When actually it isn't that difficult to wrap your head around. You just need to sit down and think about it for a couple of minutes. Um, but anyway, to actually answer the question, rather than just tell people that they're operating on false premises, um, which I know is a tremendously unannoying thing to do, the situation for the Copper actually is a tiny bit more complicated, arguably, than, than relegation, in that it's going to involve two competitions. Three. Three. Oh, well, right, yeah, of course, yeah. So first of all, if you win a trophy this year at the top level of Argentine football, you get a place in next year's Libertadores. Yes. So if you win the league that's currently taking place, the Copa de la Liga that will take place in the second half of the year, mm-hmm. or the Copa Argentina, that's automatic qualification for all three, I think, to the group stage of next yes. year's Libertadores. Also, there is going to be, or there is, an annual table, uh, which we'll refer to occasionally, we haven't referred to it until now on this episode, but we do occasionally refer to it, and that it currently only consists of the league season so far, obviously, but it will then also take in the group stages of the Copa de la Liga, which is going to be, just in case you're coming to us new this year, uh, the same two, t- the same 28 teams um, who play in the top flight split into two groups of 14, so everybody will play everybody else, and then they play the Clásico from the other round. Yes, right? so for example, uh, River and Boca will be in different groups, but they will play. Rip- River and Bocca will yes. play each other during 13 the group games and an interzonal. Yeah, so everybody ends up with 14 group games in that. So you have 27 matches from the league plus 14 games from the group stage. Mm-hmm. A very even 41. Yeah. Liga. Um, and the standings of that get put into, of those two competitions, get put into a, an annual table uh, of which the top three who have not qualified via winning a trophy for the Libertadores go into the Libertadores as well. So in other words, there are six Argentine teams who go into the Libertadores. Um, and the Sudamericana spots, it, this is, obviously it does get a bit complicated because presumably the teams who win trophies are also going to be right up here and so this becomes mm-hmm. a bit simpler than this. But as it currently stands, with nobody having won any trophies, the Sudamericana spots are spots four to nine. So that is six, six. positions in the table. So the six highest placed teams in the annual table who haven't qualified for the Libertadores qualify for the Sudamericana. Yes. Uh, if an Argentine side win the Libertadores, I can't remember whether Argentina get a seventh Libertadores spot or whether yes, the Sudamericana spot just goes. They, they do, yeah? Yes. Cool. There you go then. And also the annual table is, as we've mentioned before, relevant to relegation in that the very bottom team in the annual table or... <laughs> If they've gone down via the Promedios, then the lowest team in the annual table... Oh, no, hang on, have I got this the right way around? Is it the lowest team in the annual table who aren't relegated by Promedio, or the lowest team in the Promedios who aren't relegated by the annual table? It's got to be uh, the lowest anyway. team in the annual table, otherwise it wouldn't make sense. Um, either way, there'll be three teams relegated, one of whom will be relegated via the annual table, and two via the Promedios. Excellent. Thank you. So it takes a while to say all of that, but it isn't actually too complicated. It's basically the same way it works in Europe. Yes. It's just that because there are fewer countries on the continent, more teams from the Argentine League go into each competition mm-hmm. um, than, than do in Europe. Yeah. Yes. Um, Phil says, Dario Herrera, in it for the love of the game or bribed, bribed handsomely? Uh, I believe you had a response to this on Twitter now. Do you want to tell us your thoughts? 
Yeah, it didn't really have anything to do with first question, but I thought I'd get into it. Um, should we answer first question first? I'm not sure what he means. So I was Dario Arreda was uh, the referee for mm-hmm. Sunday or Saturday's Lanús River game. Yes, indeed. Uh, I mean, I think that gives you your answer, doesn't it? I mean, he was a guy who infamously put in probably the worst refereeing performance in history to steal a Copa Argentina away from Cadet's Rosario Central team in favour of Boca 2015, I think it was. So he's kind of been marked down as uh, as a bit of a, a wild card ever since then. Uh, and he didn't do anything. I mean, now he's got VAR to have his back. I mean, yeah. is that not the biggest advantage of VAR for referees? It's like, oh, it's not just me being shit. Like, this guy thought the same. All I'm going to say is there are two refereeing unions in Argentina. Yes. Not just one. And that means that there is twice the chance that one of his representatives, in a legal sense, might be listening to this podcast mm. than any other football <laughs> podcast has to listen to. And therefore, I'm going to sit on the fence yes. and just say, you know, you can't prove any of this. No. Um, and I followed that question with another question. Lautaro Acosta, pound for pound, football's most talented hater. Um, and Phil, who knows better than most, was definitely in agreement. Uh, Lautaro Acosta, 36 years old, just angry at the world, um, mm. always arguing, always criticising. I mean, I know a few non-supporters of the team I support who would put Bruno Fernandes' name into that. He's quite small and skinny as well. Um, Although he seems to be more hated than hater. Yeah. Uh, But I think Laudara's got him beat. Um, Hmm. He does love a confrontation, our our little Laudara. Benedetto, maybe? Not as talented though, I don't think. Not as talented. He's bigger, so he's not got the pound for pound um, Hmm. advantage yet. True, sorry. Overlooking that. Just a tiny bag of poison, really. and as Phil correctly says, yeah, love him when your team, hate him for the opposition. Uh, absolutely right, Phil. Indeed. Liam Kelly says, is it a case of new year, new manager, same problems with teams like Arsenal leaving the Monumental with a win? For some context, I should point out that Liam is, of course, a River fan, so he's not talking about Arsenal having problems, he's talking about River. I mean, I would say that if you think that Marcelo Gachado gave River problems, then those are the kind of problems that most clubs yeah. would love to have. Um, I mean, I have to say, I watched Arsenal the previous week uh, home to Racing and kind of thought, you know, calling this a football team <laughs> is really, really pushing the envelope when it comes to definition because they were just a rabble. They had seemingly no idea how to play the sport. Um, so I was staggered to see them come back against River and... I think in this particular game, as you know, we mentioned a bit on the on the pod, just lack of concentration took it yeah. took it too easy for they had Arsenal dead and buried, which probably wasn't an unfair assumption given how crap they are. It's it's one of the things that we love about this league as well though, isn't it? That Oh completely. When we say anybody can beat anybody, you know, when the Premier League's marketing department says that, yeah. they're okay, very occasionally it does happen, but by and large they're talking bollocks. Mm. Uh, whereas we get proof of it almost every week in this league with some ridiculous result or other yes. that you're not expecting. It's not always a team winning in the Monumental, but yeah. it's often something along those lines. Um, and yeah, I, I, I think that... I would read Chalice, too much. Debbie Chalice is struggling to hit the ground running, 
But he does, you know, anybody who took charge of River after Gachado left mm. was walking into a, an impossible job in certain respects. Um, and I think he's made a decent fist of it. Exactly, like, yeah. Three wins in six games. With time, exactly with Bale. With time, the team will come into it. They'll get his ideas. Oh, yeah. And they'll start to look better, um, I would say. Um, Oxbo Chambo says, too late to get a question in, but pumped for a new pod. Dan told him he still had time, so he's asked. Pod question. One, with Gareca being appointed at Vélez, now that's mm. something we've forgotten to mention, and they're already good starts to the season, do you think they can push for the title? Libertadores places? They seem to have turned it round to start the season, despite losing some star power. Have they made a good start to the season? I thought that's why they sacked their coach in the first place. They are... Um, 17th in the league with two wins two draws and yeah. two defeats so not that good a start to the not season great. Um, um, they have they did beat Tacheres in what must have been Gareca's first match in charge no I don't think he was on the bench uh, no sorry yeah you're right Marcelo Bravo was still on the bench yes. so he's, he's been officially appointed since then I think that um, the sacking of Alexander Medina happened after the Boca game yes uh, which they is. lost 2-1 at home I mean looking at the Tashiris match um, they managed to score two goals from one shot on target so I don't think it was a if, if, convincing if Gareca convincing can keep up that, <laughs> that absolutely yeah I mean with that strike right you're a you're a match for anyone really mm. I mean it's classic Vélez a lot of um, very talented youngsters in that team a couple of Older guys who, who have the quality might not be able to play every game, you know, like Prado, and, uh, and there's another one I'm forgetting now. And just depends how they click, like how far they can take it. Um, sort of Americana, you know, I'll say the same for Centralis. Not exactly a massive obstacle, like a massive achievement. You know, you have to finish ninth or probably even tenth or eleventh. Diego Godin is um, Diego I think Godin. the other one you were forgetting yes. he's a very forgettable player really so <laughs> Lucas Hansel is somehow 28 years old I think I was thinking of Hansen more and then saw he was 28 and had to sort of um, recalibrate <laughs> yeah how um, is he 28? Um, old. must be must be lying um, I don't know if they turned it around I mean they, they won a game which is always useful uh, I, I would say that Gareca's going to give him a boost because he's he's loved the Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's the classic appointment who knows the club. Yeah. But we all know that these things don't always always work out. No, indeed. Bianchi, for example. He's also, I I misspoke a second ago and said player, just under what Dan was saying. I meant to say manager. He's going to come in and he's going to have the respect and and instant command of the dressing room. There's not going to be any kind of even the more experienced <coughs> players are going to know the importance that this guy has you know like even Diego Godin who's got nothing to do with Venice on Argentine football until the last what six months ago did he join or seven, seven or eight months ago a year ago last year or a year ago yeah. whatever it was you know even he knows who Ricardo Gareca is thanks to Gareca being in charge of Peru for um, a good few years and having you know managed against him uh, so he's going to have instant respect from everybody in that dressing room and that's going to count for something as well I would think mm-hmm. um, I, I think they can only get better under him and it's not as if he's one of these you know the kind of managers who we were complaining about when this podcast first started the old boys club who just rotated around these jobs I mean he's getting towards that age now maybe yeah but he hasn't had a job in Argentina since exactly yeah no precisely and, and he's clearly a lot more 
or at least for me at least when I you know watch Peru under him, I think he's a lot more plugged into how modern football's played. It seems so, um, yeah. For, for the moment, we'll more than his haircut would um, would suggest. Indeed, yes. Uh, Oxbow Chambo also says pod question two: What is Lanús' hot start to the season mostly down to? They look comfortably the worst team in the Liga Profesional, along with Aldo Civi last season by a significant distance. How much will losing Julian Aude to must be LA Galaxy, I think, LAG, mm. hurt them? Huge loss or replaceable? Well, maybe it's easy to say in hindsight now they've lost a couple, but I wonder whether a slightly easier um, fixture list, although they did have San Lorenzo in round two, which mm. now that we know San Lorenzo aren't crap anymore, <laughs> doesn't look too bad. Uh, it's definitely helped having Pedro de la Vera back. Yeah, and uh, I think he missed well, the whole season uh, last time. Some some focus is definitely aided by the fact that they really needed this start due to their position in the relegation table. Definitely motivated. Um, they had a new coach in as well, um, Franco Delga, who is known around Argentina for just grinding out them points. Um, I think they made a couple of decent signings as well. Leandro Diaz is another Lautaro Costa esque. Mm. little so-and-so but tends to be quite effective um, just looks solid across the pitch really not a huge amount of thrills um, but they've got plenty of goal scoring potential they don't let in many goals um, and I don't think they're going to be challenging for the title or anything like that but they're definitely going to be better than than last year because they can't really get any worse no indeed and Aldo uh, I can't remember. Don't remember much about Aldi. No, I mean, I, I, I don't think that unless it's a player like Julian Alvarez or mm. Enzo Fernandez, I don't feel like Argentine clubs have. I don't know whether I would say that they never miss players when they leave, but they don't have mm. much of an excuse for missing players when they leave because this is how Argentine football works. And especially in Amos. Yeah, I mean, if, if, if you're an Argentine club, then you've got to be a conveyor belt. Yes. Uh, and you've got to always have the next kid coming up who can replace the kid that you're about to sell. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's going to be tricky, but also it's not going to be like, for example, like it was for them when Diego Valeri left, who was a bit more of a veteran and mm. was a huge part of that team. Uh, when was that, like 10 eight or ten years ago probably now. That's a long time ago. Um, but yeah. And Oxbow also says boring question that can just be answered on Twitter, but you know, we like boring questions as well. Is there a live table somewhere that shows us the relegation picture and explains a bit about how it works? <laughs> Secondly, how does Libertadores qualify and work through the LPF? Okay, LPF being Liga Profesionale Football. Uh, so we explained Libertadores qualifying a minute ago. Um, Sofa score does not have the relegation table. So do that's you? one quick note. But what you should do is open a tab on your mobile cellular telephone browser and go to promiedos.com.ar slash primera. Um, I shall spell promiedos for you because it's not the Spanish word promedios. It's a pun. Yes. It's a play on words um, between that word and miedo, which means fear. So it's P R O M I E. DOS.com.ar. Um, this is a website that basically was, when it was first set up, it was just about the relegation tables in Argentina mm. and explained how it worked, and there was a big campaign to try and do away with them. And 
you will need to read a little bit of Spanish to understand the permutations, but basically it's got a bunch of tables, and scrolling down, as I now am, I've gone back to the top of the screen so I can tell you what order they're in, in case you speak no Spanish whatsoever. Uh, it's all fairly self-explanatory, I think. It is, yeah. If you know just, what a football table, league table looks like. Just in case anybody's wondering. So the first table that you will see is the league table at the moment. Then you'll see, a, if you're on your mobile and things aren't just playing side by side, then you'll see a fixture list. And then you see the annual table, which is the thing we were talking about with the, the Copa qualification a bit a, a, a while ago. And you'll notice that the bottom, very bottom position in the annual table is coloured red. That's for the relegation spot for that. Then you'll see goal scorers and assists, and then you will see uh, the promedio table, which is the relegation, which has columns for the 2021, 2022, and 2023, i.e. current seasons, points totals, and then PJ means partidos jugados, or matches played. And the important number is the very last column, which is the average. So they take the points divided by the matches played in those three seasons. Um, and average it out so you'll notice that for example at the moment Instituto in 8th place have got 0 in the 21 column and 0 in the 22 column because they weren't in the, the Primera last season or the season before 9 points in 23 giving a total of 9 points and they played 6 matches so that's a total of uh, an average of 1.5 ma- uh, points per game exactly um, which is why they're up in 8th Platense, Arsenal in the relegation zone Arsenal have got just under 1 point per game uh, so that's how it works. And the bottom two in this table will be relegated. So it's three in total. And as I said, we still need to clarify whether it's going to be the lowest or the second lowest placed team in the Promedios who aren't relegated via the annual table going down, or whether it's going to be the lowest placed team in the annual table who aren't relegated via the Promedios going down in the event that those aren't, you know, that the team finished bottom of the um, annual table or one of the two teams at the bottom of the Promedios as well. And then it's also below that got what next season's promedio table would look like if the 2024 season were to start today without any more matches being played in 2023. Um, so it gives you an idea of who's going to be in the most trouble this time next year, basically. And you can see again that Lanusa are right down there, even now with their good start to this season so far. Um, it's a good website to check out. And I, yes. think, I don't know whether it updates absolutely live like during matches each weekend but it certainly does within a couple of minutes of full time uh, the matches. yearly table does or the annual and league yeah. tables do I think yeah, I don't know whether they work out the promedios afterwards I would oh, imagine so, I've never thought to look I must say but anyway follow them um, I don't know whether they have an app I don't know whether I'd bother recommending it if they did but I think they do for them. and thank you for asking the question because it's something that we just as a matter of course always have open while we're recording mm. um, but yeah not um, we rarely mention it yeah. actually I remember I did download the app once but it made my phone overheat and my battery run down alarmingly yeah. so just don't bother given what the website looks like I'm not surprised to hear that the app isn't particularly well put together but the website is thorough it yes the website's to, brilliant yeah. to go to um, that's it those are all of our listeners questions so if you would like to listen to a little bit of music then you'll hear Mystic Sam's predictions for the weekend ahead here we go we begin on Friday with Barracas Central versus Independiente which I think will be a draw 
I think Instituto Atlético Tucumán will be an Instituto win. And also, oh wow, three matches on Friday night. Argentinos versus Arsenal, I think it's going to be an Argentinos win. On Saturday, I think San Lorenzo will get a home win over Gimnasia. Defensa y Justicia will beat Tacheres. Um, Belgrano versus Lanús. Ooh, interesting one. I'm going to go for Lanús to get back to winning ways there, I think. Right. Oh, I just pressed the wrong thing and went out of the fixture list. <laughs> Shit. Um, Central Cordoba versus Tigre. I expect to be a Tigre win. Racing, I think we'll get a home win against Sarmiento. Rosario Central versus Union. Uh, I'm going to go for an Union win. River will beat Godoy Cruz. Estudiantes versus Huracan will be an Huracan win. Banfield versus Boca will be a Boca win. Vélez versus Platense. Hmm. I'll go for a Vélez win on Carreca's homecoming. And Colón versus Newell's old boys in the clash of the red and black halves is going to be a Colón win, I think. Did I tell the story? I think I might have told it on an extra once. How apparently Newell's red and black shirts are because they were founded by what their founders really liked. Like, was it Newell's or Colón? Was it the other way around? Must what? be Colón, because Newell's I think, might, I think it was Colón, yeah. So, one of them, anyway, was founded, by, and they were, they were trying to come up with some colours, and some of them were like, oh, this other club's shirts look really cool. So they mm-hmm. sent them on to some local football shirt maker to, and, and said, we'd like red and black halves, and we'd like it to be on this half of the right. shirt. <laughs> and uh, the shirt maker got it mixed up and printed the black on the wrong half of the shirt and the red on the oh, wrong okay. half of the shirt. So that's why the... Like, the, the Proper traditional colours, if you look carefully, are, I can't remember which, which club is which way round, but it's Newell's are red on the left and black on the right, and Colons are reversed from that. Um, although, obviously, kit makers nowadays just tend to mix it up depending on how they want the design, so it's not really held for the last few years. But, uh, yeah, apparently that's, that's how that happened. Well, there we go. I can't remember now whether it was Newell's facing the colours on Colon or, or the other way around. I'd say the other way around, but um, good story. Indeed. Yes, I thought so. Anyway, uh, thank you very much indeed for listening for another week, and we'll be back hopefully in a week's time. Thanks and goodbye from English Town. Goodbye. And me, thank you, and goodbye. Quick score update for you from the Copa Argentina earlier. River ended up beating Racing de Córdoba 3-0 in Santiago del Estero.